Good morning, future Alex. It is day 33 and it's April the 10th today. And today I'm immensely grateful for having worked in IT security. It's quite simple. When the going gets tough, as in you're doing things very fast and and you need to deliver, which is pretty much what being an entrepreneur is, you're relying a lot on reflexes and instincts. And if you listen back a few episodes ago, you'll remember me saying that choosing the boring tech that you've worked with for years or decades de-risks your business because you're relying on instincts when developing. You know how to structure things, configure things, and which libraries you'll need, and so on. The same applies to secure coding, so developing secure software. Oftentimes, you don't have the time or resources to do a full threat analysis every time you publish a new feature. The speed you're releasing those features at provide a massive potential for adding security holes. Now, of course, you can try and automate a lot of your security aspects like checking dependencies automatically for updates or vulnerabilities. You can rely on the frameworks you use to avoid SQL injection cross-site scripting and request forgery, but ultimately you need to take possible attacks into consideration when you're developing your software, as in your own code. That's where a lot of the attacks are probably introduced. But unfortunately, that often doesn't happen, especially if you're working on your own and and don't have anyone to double-check with. Larger organizations have some peer review maybe, but if you're on your own, you're the last line of defense. If you've never been subjected or your software been subjected to penetration testing or penetration testers or even secure coding practices, you you haven't built up the muscle memory that's required to trigger when you're coding and adding a security threat. I was reminded by this yesterday when I added a seemingly harmless feature to Innovote. The feature lets you bookmark startups that you're seeing at an event and when you're done, you can send yourself an email with the bookmarked startups. So you can follow up with them. And it's the email portion of this that already triggers an alert. The content of that email is added by the event organizer, right? So they they add startups and they add startup descriptions. So I don't have full control over most of that email. And maybe in future, I'll even add things like the link to a startup or an image or other aspects. So in this feature, Someone is sending an email via my own systems, my own mail services that I have no control over. This in itself is already a risky thing. And so I need to sanitize any inputs to that email and make sure nothing bad goes into it. Which thankfully for the text and the description, both frameworks that I use uh, for sending emails and for getting that data already have these checks in place. Now, the user who is doing the voting gets the email only if they actively set some bookmarks and then request the email. So you can rely on the user gaining some trust with the event organizer, right? You're not going to sign up for some kind of fake event and then do those two steps to request an email. Mind you, it's it's not risk-free. I can come up with scenarios where the user could be tricked into making a bad decision. But all in all, this threat scenario is pretty much mitigated by ensuring that the email contents are just plain text and not any active elements like JavaScript that could do something. But the second question is surrounding spam, 
whenever email is involved, spam has to be at top of your mind. So in order for a user to request a bookmark email, they first have to register for the event. So they've already actively clicked on a link to confirm that they own the email address and only then would they be able to receive a bookmark email. So spam is not an issue here because the first email I have full control over and only if they really click on that link would they get the second email. But there's a second option for running Innovote events and that is using username and password which you hand out to people, the jury for example. And because there's no email address for that user, but I still want to provide the option to get those bookmarks, the application has to ask for an email address. And that's where my brain went into red alert. There are certain things that are just instinctual alerts, like when processing HTML data or JavaScript data, or I have to add search terms and search filters to a database query. These are all things that just trigger this impulse of, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's a possibility here for, for an attacker to gain control. And the same goes for when I'm asking for email addresses. This usually only happens once when the user registers, and that's why we have confirmation emails in place for most registration workflows. But whenever I'm requesting an email address from the user, I need to take extra care. Now, let me just give you a second not quite as common scenario as registration, but user invitations where you can invite other people to your team and to your organization. And sometimes you add a personal message option. So whoever is inviting someone can add their own text to that email to tell the recipient why they're getting this email in the first place. And if you don't have security mechanisms in place to stop people abusing it, this is another vector for spamming other people. If you can add a million email addresses to your invitation form and a personal message, well, you've opened yourself up to spam. And that one attack will have an effect on your email service provider. They may stop sending for you if it gets really bad. But even if not, you may just be connected to spam and then your own emails, your transactional emails that you need to get through, they're suddenly not being delivered. Now, this same spam attack scenario applies to my bookmarking feature, although it's much less trivial to figure out how this could be abused. But again, we have two components here that make it high risk. One, the email content is defined by someone else. And two, I'm asking for an email to send the email to that is not confirmed by the recipient before I send that email to them. So it's a massive risk vector. You could imagine a spammer creates an event, adds a startup with a description that has all the spam message in it, and then uses the send bookmark feature to send it to a million email addresses. Okay, so that, that one's simple. Let's restrict the bookmark email to be only sent once per event per user, right? Then the spammer creates a million users for the event and then just automates the process of the bookmarking and the sending of that bookmark email. So he effectively only sends one spam email for each user in the system. This automation is very straightforward. So this isn't a challenge for anyone trying to spam. The next line of defense is to add a capture to the sending process, right? A capture is something that uh, is very hard for automation, bots to solve, but is easy for a human. Depending on the strengths 
of that capture, it can be used to stop most spammers, but there are services that just solve them in masses and, and therefore circumvent that measure as well. Okay, so what now? Is this unsolvable? Essentially, you really can't rule out the risk completely, but you can continue to minimize it. But you need to keep adding layer after layer until you're comfortable with the risk. And again, this relies on your instincts. You need to know when adding more layers doesn't contribute to reducing the risk. And then that's that's when you stop. But of course, I'm not going to talk about the other levels of protections that I've added because you don't want to give the spammers a manual of what to avoid when they try to abuse your system. But the thing I want to stress here is that both the alerting instinct and this instinct that you need to figure out how many levels of security you need are both dependent on your experience. There's there's a lot of creativity in there too. You need to think like someone who wants to abuse your software. And I'm in the lucky position that having worked in the security industry, I, I was able to learn from both bleeding-edge research and security practitioners that I still benefit greatly from when I develop software. Now, can I or do I call myself a security expert? No, definitely not. Even just being a year outside of that industry, you've pretty much lost touch with what attacks are going on. But that instinct to think like an attacker that's still there, that's what I'm very grateful for. If you can take part in just a simple secure coding workshop or listen to some security talks, even just reading through the OWASP top 10 security threats, you're already improving your skills, even if you don't realize it. Knowing about a threat is the first step to mitigating that threat. Anyway, that's all for today. Please share the episode if you like it. Subscribe for further stories like this and go to futurealex.com for a full transcript and any links. I shall talk to you tomorrow.